today on Ag News Daily. Well, currently we're focused on improving nutrient management here in the state of Ohio, and that encompasses adoption of new technologies, specifically some of the precision ag technologies to, to improve that and inform our decisions around nutrient management or fertilizer applications. Here we are five days from Christmas, December 20th, 2023, here to bring you, uh, what are we, the last two episodes of 2023, Delaney? Yes, today, Wednesday, tomorrow, Thursday, and then goodbye to everyone until the new year. Yeah, I wonder if uh, our listeners are going to miss us that week between Christmas and New Year's, or if it's going to be a nice reprieve. I think you're going to miss me. That's why you mentioned it. (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh you can just see right through me Delaney I know you're easy to read Tanner what can I say hey there you go we still don't have very good odds of having a white Christmas here in Iowa today we will have slight breezes 10 miles per hour or less we will have a chance of getting into the mid to upper 40s today here locally but there are rain scattered chances for Friday, Thursday night into Friday morning, and potentially could see 50 degrees and thunder on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day here in Iowa. So not expecting, I don't know if I like the idea that we will have a chance for a thunderstorm on Christmas, but right now, We have the rest of our listeners experiencing strong wind in Missouri and Kansas. The Ozark region, according to the National Weather Service, will see 25 to 35 mile per hour gusts. Oklahoma is going to see rainfall that's expected towards uh, the end of this week. There is not any severe weather in the mix for them. And Nebraska might get a white Christmas. They have a wintry mix of snow and rain. Some of this will accumulate, but more than likely won't stick around. So uh, not very many people are going to have a white Christmas this year, Delaney. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed about that. I do fall into the trap of liking the romantic aspect of having a white Christmas. So I'll miss that personally, but I'm not sad about it being a little bit warmer than it usually is this time of year, Tanner. I was listening to another podcast and uh, a gentleman from Illinois said that He just always likes going home for Christmas because there's nothing like an Illinois Christmas. And I feel like Mm -hmm. almost everybody would say that about where they grew up having Christmas at. Yes, I think you're probably right there. But uh, looking at weather in South America, hot and dry weather in Mato Grosso, which is, of course, Brazil's top soybean producing state, is expected to now reduce soybean production by around 20 percent, according to a farm group, Aprosoja. The group's survey of more than 600 producers in that state of Mato Grosso is suggesting that yields are going to be down about 20% due to the hot and dry weather they've been having in that area. We also saw over the weekend, Tandler, and I missed it earlier this week, but a deadly summer storm headed into Argentina over the weekend, which certainly helped a little bit to crops, but definitely left them reeling also. After the historic drought they've been having, they got almost too much wet weather, but the intense storm began on Saturday in the south of Buenos Aires province and left at least 13 people dead in the port town of Bahia Blanca before moving north. And the northern portion got some much needed rains as things started to temper down a little bit after the 
worse of the impact of the storms hit in that Buenos Aires province. But Argentina's farming core has received about two and a half to three and a half inches of rain this weekend. And that was certainly some really timely rain that they certainly needed in that area as uh, soil has been looking really dry. But now they're saying soil is very saturated, maybe almost too much so. But I'm sure that this will be a top headline when we get back from uh, Christmas break, Tanner. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be one that doesn't get traded to its full potential here as some of those funds are not participating in the market, but maybe will shake out after the first of the year. We do have Joe Kearns, who's the president of Partners for Production Agriculture, releasing a statement saying that there is some good news for 2024's pork producers, saying that it can't be any worse than 2023. Economists are expecting 2024 to be another challenging year for the U.S. pork industry. But he points out that there is some financial opportunities at a market bottom. When prices or profits are the lowest, that point of maximum financial risk also provides opportunity for highest profit margins. Lee Schultz, the associate professor for the extension uh, of Iowa State University, said that the leading experts are stating that even though outlook doesn't look great for pork, the demand for pork appears to be one of the most significant issues, and there could be some solutions to that going into 2024. International demand for U.S. pork could see a little bit of a boost, even though there are some obstacles on the wholesale and retail levels. Demand could be the biggest challenge, but if we can navigate Proposition 12 in California, and we get Massachusetts figured out in internal demand could be one that supports less exports. Export demand, even though problematic with uh, competition coming from Brazil and tariffs into China, could see maybe some repeal based upon what elections look like in 2024 that might boost the pork market. But until we get a meaningful relaxation of input prices, Summer hogs could need to, they could be trading higher than the mid 90s where they're currently at now. That is barely above break even at this point. But again, like he said, when you're at the bottom, some participants will bow out of the market, which gives opportunity to those that are willing to stick through it. So US producers will need to pay attention during the first half of 2024, pay attention to herd reductions, they have been slow over the last couple of months, which will limit the upside. But if we see some more sow culling happening, that be, could be the first indication of a late 2024 run-up. So not a lot of great news there, Delaney, for what the future of pork looks like. But we know that there is a chance. Yes, I saw that headline there as well, Tanner. And uh, they certainly could use a better outlook heading into 2024 after a tough year this year. But we finally got some movement on the EPA year-round E15 rule. A final rule to allow permanent sales of E15 year-round. Of course, we know earlier this week the government received a letter from eight different states about why this process has taken so long. 
The EPA said, therefore, then they sent the letter officially to the White House's Office of Management and Budget to review it as a lawsuit filed against the agency continues to play out as this has been taking a very long time to get this year-round E15 law into place. However, now that the rule has been posted to the Office of Management and Budget's website, it does now start the clock that they have about two to four weeks to finalize and publish the rule. Whether or not they follow that course of action, Tanner, is the big question mark because as we know, they certainly have not been sticking to the normal guidelines that we typically see for measures of this type. And so we should see something go into place by the end of January, but it sounds like a lot of states are not holding their breath. Yeah, I I don't expect it to be a quick answer either. Sticking with the meats side of thing, we saw closeouts fall another $10 deeper into the red for cattle feeders last week. Total losses on average now of $110 per head, according to the Sterling Beef Profit Tracker. Meanwhile, packers saw their margins get into the black by $28. The improvement was a $44 per head improvement week over week. So for the week ending December 16th, cash cattle prices averaged 168.34 per hundred weight. That's roughly a dollar lower than the previous week. Wholesale posted an average of 287.09, which was roughly 75 cents lower. The beef and pork profit tractors uh, put together by Sterling Marketing out of Valley, Oregon, or out of Vale, Oregon, I'm sorry, the cattle sold carried a total feed cost of $437 per head, down about 7 bucks from the previous week. So we see cost of inputs for the cattle industry start to slide a little bit. As we look at total estimated finishing cost per a steer, was at $2,466 a head, up 16% from last year's estimate of just over $2,000. So that's where a significant portion of that margin is. Nearly uh, 506,000 cattle were slaughtered during that time period, up 11,000 head from the previous week, and 33,000 more than the same week last year. So we do see packing plant, packing plant capacity utilization up to 86.3% compared to 82.5% last year. We already talked a little bit about where the hog industry is heading next year, but for the last week, we saw losses head to $57 per head. That's about $12 per head lower than a year ago. We also saw packer profits for the pork industry run about $62 a head. That's up $8 a head from the previous week and better than where they were sitting last year. Pork packer capacity, Delaney, which I think tells the biggest story, is running at 99.7%. That's compared to 93.5, but also tells you that those packing plants in the pork industry are running at pretty much max capacity, which is interesting because I think two weeks ago, we hit a headline that they are looking at speeding up rail line speeds within these packing plants after safety analysis gets done. Obviously, that seems to be about the only way to increase capacity at this moment, seeing here that plants are pretty much running full. Well, we certainly need that heading into the holiday season as hopefully people are eating lots of protein this Christmas. Tanner, what's on your protein? What's on your plate for protein at Christmas? I actually think I get prime rib for brunch Christmas morning 
and uh, there's probably a Christmas ham coming Christmas evening. So we're going to hit both sides of the spectrum. I am I am a little jealous. We don't get prime rib. We have in the past. Belinda and I bought one to make. We don't know when we're making it yet, but uh, I think we get turkey and ham on our Christmas plate. No complaints. Still a good protein. Yes, absolutely. Well, Tanner, I think the last headline I have here is wrapping up ag machinery sales for 2023. U.S. ag machinery sales this year uh, showed very strong sales for 100 plus horsepower two-wheel drive tractors and four-wheel drive tractors. Combine sales also soared way above the five-year trend line for much of the year before finally slowing down at the end of 2023. But overall, as we look at the five-year sales trend for tractors and combines, 2023 has been right on trend or slightly below the five-year average. These numbers come to us from the U.S. Tractor and Combine Reports published by the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. As we look at end of the year sales here, November was a big month for four wheel drive tractors. I'm suspecting because farmers needed to take care of some tax burdens here. And in the month of November, compared to the year prior, they were up 72% Tanner for big tractors. Year to date, manufacturers have sold about 4,072 four-wheel drive units. That's up 38% over the same period last year. So all in all, folks were uh, wanting to get rid of maybe some extra income this year as we head into a tougher cycle, or it might've just been that that is where it fell in your upgrade cycle. And this year happened to be the year that you were due for an upgrade. But nonetheless, the Association of Equipment Manufacturers doesn't necessarily provide insight as to why the sales were up higher this year, just simply reports on the numbers of uh, what we saw this year. Yeah, I think there's still some levels of profitability and some spending that's been happening that probably boosted that a little bit as well as availability. But a couple quick headlines to wrap up my side of things. Something to pay attention in 2024 to is the Inflation Reduction Act. The $18 billion additional funding that was provided to the USDA during that is a one-time fund. It is meant to be spent between now and 2031. This is important because as the debate for the Farm Bill goes post-2031, these programs in the Inflation Reduction Act funding would sunset without additional revenue sources. So we'll take a look at what the 10-year budget window looks like, if that is a target for the Farm Bill, to see how those programs that had been created will continue to get funded. We also see that food makers are really focusing on reducing methane methane emissions in dairy. General Mills, Dan Juan, and the UN at the set at the UN climate summit that they will continue to push for methane emission reduction. The Dairy Methane Action Alliance will require members to publicly disclose their emissions amount, especially if they are supplying members of their network. So I'm sure that will add a little additional uh, requirements to those areas. Israel is proposing a one week pause in fighting in exchange for 40 hostages. We also see that U.S. warships have been shooting down healthy drones in the Red Sea. And uh, what will come next is something to be watched. We see tunnel warfare taking place 
in the Gaza region as newly discovered tunnels are being shared. But uh, one of the things to keep an eye on is what the retaliation to the Hamas attack is going to be in other parts of the Middle East. But uh, that wraps up my headlines for today. All right. Well, the only headline I have left for today, Tanner, is taking a look at the overnight markets here as we head into the opening session. Markets are trading mixed. March corn down up a penny and a quarter at 474 and a half. March, excuse me, January soybeans up a penny and a half at 1314. While March soybeans are trading lower in the overnights, down two and a quarter cents at 1320 and a quarter. Chicago March wheat down a penny and a quarter at 621 and a half. March hard red winter wheat down two pennies at 639 and a half. And March spring wheat down three and a half cents at 724 and three quarters. Taking a look at livestock yesterday, they had a little bit of a sell-off day and will open lower this morning. February live cattle shed 85 cents yesterday to open this morning at a buck 68.77 on the board. January feeder cattle lost a dollar 27 and a half will open this morning at 221.90 and February lean hogs down a dollar 02 and a half opening this morning at 70.55. Then we're talking engineering and precision ag today with John Fulton from The Ohio State University. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Well, folks, we are chatting about tillage, which may seem like a tool that many of you use. So why are we talking about it today? Well, we're going to get into that here in just a moment with a professor at Ohio State University, John Fulton. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thanks for having me. So as you look at tillage and precision agriculture as a tool in the toolbox. It seems silly. We're having a conversation about it because so many farmers, I think, use this as a go-to tool, but it seems like over the last 10, 15, 20 years, we've seen a lot of advancements in this particular arena. John, from your perspective, what are you most focused on as an engineering and biological professor at The Ohio State? Well, currently we're focus on improving nutrient management here in the state of Ohio, and that encompasses adoption of new technologies, specifically some of the precision ag technologies to to improve that and inform our decisions around nutrient management or fertilizer applications. And then we're also focused in the arena of automation. That's a a hot topic, but uh, working with several companies on potential business models and sensors and and really the, the the application of artificial intelligence within that within the automation realm how does artificial intelligence fall into tillage you know you think of tillage as being the iron weed killer and uh, not a lot of extra thinking there but where's ai fit you bet that's a that's a really good question tanner so you know as delaney opened up you know Precision ag's really progressed in particular in the last 15 years where we've moved from technology as kind of a retrofit to making a pretty standard option on most farm equipment today. When we get the tillage, we're starting to see a couple things there. Um, number one, we're, we're being able to make adjustments on the go from the cab, more in a manual sense. But secondly, we've been working on here uh, 
adding sensors that sense um, as the tilling operation is being conducted, things like clod size uh, and aggregate size. And then another aspect is um, stover or um, just stalks, the amount of residue that remains on the surface, not before necessarily, but after the tillage, tillage operation. So artificial intelligence is embedded in that and some of the sensor technology we're deploying requires images or sensors and then artificial intelligence provides as it's trained uh, verification or the feedback, for example, how much residue remains on the surface of the soil once that tillage operation is or pass is made. So it's really the, the piece that takes the sensor data, in particular images in some cases, and characterizes what we're looking for out of those images to inform the tillage operation to make adjustments. Yeah, you mentioned the implements that are connected to the tractor. And I've heard this word thrown around a lot recently, which is smart implements. Can you walk us through what is a smart implement and how are we seeing the industry adopt this right now? Yeah, yeah. So uh, a smart implement in, in the definition that we would use here would be something that has the capacity to make adjustments on the go with that embedded art artificial intelligence. And so that's making basically, in that case, Delaney taking steel, right? Tillage implements are just steel and adding sensors and some complex algorithms with those sensors to, to make it smart, to allow that what was dumb, right? It was just a piece of steel that we set and we went to something that has some intelligence to make adjustments on a go. So it's adjusting things like gang angles, how much down pressure is on that gang, the depth of tillage uh, for, for some of the different setups, and then how much pressure, what we're doing at the back end to break up clods with the baskets or similar type um, uh, attachments that we'll put on in the back. So, but with that, we independently, or what we've, what we've showed the value of that is basically taking that dumb implement and making each of the aspects, the depth, the gang angles and the, the, the pressure or the depth of that gang, all that is automated independent of one another, meaning I can still run the gangs, but I might only be tilling at a, a shallow depth with a subsoil shanks, for example. So that's, I guess, my, my description of making, basically taking steel that's dumb and trying to basically making it smart. Yeah, and that's, you know, you think of farmers that have been using prescriptions for fertilizer and prescriptions for planting even, is this something now that we can begin writing prescriptions for also? Um, some, yeah, and, and so we should we should note that this is this is fairly new. I mean, we're talking to maybe the last five years that we see companies offering what we would de define typically as precision tillage. But yes, you you could essentially build a, a prescription map uh, or multiple prescriptions that that if you could know the depth of compaction, for example, you could vary the tillage depth across, which is sometimes a challenge, but we have been able to look at, or at least uh, identify where we would like to do a little deeper ripping, maybe 12 inches, 
versus maybe bringing those those rippers up to to a six to eight inch depth because really the the compaction is not a, an issue there. So in that process, we're saving on fuel. But um, I guess that would be some examples there, Tanner. When you look at economic impact of tillage equipment, smart implements, et cetera, precision ag, what are some of the studies or research that have been done to really highlight to farmers the importance that this plays in their operation? You bet, you bet. So there, there's really, you know, when the we did a study a few years ago and, and found several benefits of, potential benefits of precision tillage, okay? And so... It may be different for each farm in each field, but on in general, what we found, or on average, what we found was about a, a six to ten percent savings in fuel for that field during that tillage operation. Meaning, going from a basically a, a, a machine without the technology or just uh, a fixed depth, fixed setup to precision tillage, and it, it's making adjustments on the go. So there's a a pretty good value in that in terms of fuel savings. We could actually be more efficient out in the field. We actually gain what we call acres per hour. We we were able to gain a few acres per hour in the process. So there's another game of just time or covering acres per per hour per day. And then the other thing we found was two things. Number one, we can retain whatever the, the percent residue on the top of the the surface. So we want to minimize in some cases, the movement of soil or anything off of the field, right? As far as we say erosion, but keeping like 30, 35% of the residue on the surface still kept that surf that protected over the winter months. And we didn't see as much erosion than if I, we did a, a traditional with the same implement without the technology on it. And then, then lastly, we did see a little bit of a yield bump, yield increase just a few percent in the corn and soybean rotation that we were studying. That's exciting to hear when we thought tillage wouldn't be a super exciting topic to discuss. But when you opened up, you stated that your team had also been looking at the way fertilizer is both applied and incorporated. Can you expand more upon what those studies look like? You bet. So, you know, we're, you know, when we, just to be very specific, we're, we're, uh, phosphorus, phosphorus management is a, a pretty significant discussion here in the state of Ohio because of the environmental concerns around uh, dissolved reactive phosphorus getting into water bodies, but that doesn't preclude nitrogen as well or nitrate. So what are we doing? Uh, a couple of things. We're, we're trying to bring and look at allowing some of these newer technologies to enable us to get back into the field during the growing season to apply uh, nitrogen and phosphorus. And we're looking at the same time, more variable rate, uh, in particular phosphorus and potassium, but phosphorus for this discussion. And then the other thing is, is precision placement, either with strip till units or with planter units, replacing placing that phosphorus in a concentrated band, which if you study that will improve uptake in some cases and conditions by that plant. So we're making sure that that is readily available to the plants. Corn and soybean, soybeans is what we're talking here in the state of Ohio as far as rotation and making sure that those are precision placed in order to get maximum uptake as well. So again, that minimizes the concern of that moving off site or off the field or into some kind of water 
either through the surface runoff or infiltration down into either our tiles or, or groundwater as well. As you look at, you know, the big things coming down the pipeline for the tillage and precision ag space, what do you think are the next logical steps or things that the industry is going to be demanding? Um, well, I think we're going to continue to see some advancement in making more tillage implements smarter. We You, you brought that term up, but essentially putting sensors and technology on to better control depth, better control those as we move across the field to improve their operation, improve what they're intended for. And so I think you'll see some of the enhancements. It may not be fully automated, as I explained. I don't think that'll be the first step, but I do think as I look at all the offerings out there, we're starting to be able to make adjustments like gang angle and, and some of the other depth control more manual within the cab versus having to get out of the cab and, and ratchet or, or make some manual adjustments back on the, the, the machine. But in the, what I see in the future is we're going to see more adjustments from the cab. So that'll improve our efficiency or as we till, we can make adjustments kind of from the cab, but then ultimately we'll see more sensors come in on, on more of these tillage implements to, to improve and enhance their, their performance. Well, that's great. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our audience with today before we wrap up? Uh, I would say, you know, if there's a real interest in this, we've got a little information on what, what someone could look up is our Ohio State Digital Ag website. But more to the fact, you can see some of the results in what we call our E-Fields report. We are currently putting our 2023 uh, report together right now, and it will be out the first week of January. So if you want to know what we're doing, learn more about these type of topics, especially precision tillage, reach out to us and we'll be happy to send you a hard copy of that to, to learn more about our research here at Ohio State. Awesome. Well, this has been a pleasure. I'm glad that you took the time to share with our audience what you and your team have been working on. Sounds great. Thanks for having me again. Well, I love that conversation, but I was thinking throughout the entire time, how the NFL players announce themselves when you see the starting lineups come across your TV and they always give credit to the college they played at. And it is very unique that it is the Ohio State University doing. <laughs> that always throws me off, Tanner. Every time I go to talk about it, I'm like, oh, that probably offends people that are from the Ohio State University. <laughs> it is. But listeners, thanks for sticking around. We got one more show for you this year. Come back tomorrow and check that out with us. But for today, what do you say? Should we let them go? Let's let them go.